Praise the King. Let's, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His blessing today. Oh Lord, I pray as we look into Your Word, I pray that we would continue to lift our hearts and our voices and our minds and praise unto You. Pray that You would minister and speak to us by Your Holy Spirit. Pray that You would reveal the truth of Your Word to our hearts, that we might put it into practice and live it in our lives. We give You all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, there's one point, there's one purpose that I have this morning, and, I, and it is this, that I want us to remember or to be exhorted to give praise unto the King always. Not when we're just in church, but all the time. Because the truth of who He is and what He has done does not uh, apply only to us while we are here worshiping together. It applies all the time. And so that's what I want us to take away this morning, that He is worthy of our praise, and we should give our hearts and our lives to Him, praising Him for what He has done on the cross. Now we're in Luke, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and this is the passage in Luke that talks about the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's pretty interesting as we consider the triumphal entry of Jesus, it is one of those few things that occurs in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The triumphal entry is in each of the Gospels. But even as we read the details of the triumphal entry, there are differences between the Gospels, and I think some of the things that we see in Luke are unique to him, and they really put focus on certain aspects of Jesus' triumphal entry. One of the main themes of the Gospel of Luke is this, that Jesus is the King. And so throughout the Gospel of Luke, he keeps on throwing out. We find these truths about uh, Jesus the King within the Gospel. Even, even certain things about his, uh, what it means to be king. For example, one of the things that it means to be a king, and this is, uh, this is uh, terminology that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and we even use it today, is that a king ascends to the throne, right? Have you ever heard of that? Well, when we consider Jesus and the life of Jesus, not only is he the king, we say, yes, you know, he's the king and he's worthy to be praised because of the king, but we have the idea or the truth that he will come and sit and rule and reign as king over the earth. And so Luke picks this up, and here's the first verse. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now, this is long before... Luke chapter 19 and the triumphal entry. So this is, this is a, there's still a whole lot of stuff to happen from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19. And it says this, Now came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. Now the words received up there is talking about the ascension of Jesus. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So what is happening, and I'm going to talk about this in, in weeks to come, what is happening here is that Luke is putting forward Jesus as the king, and it is going, he is going to make much of Jesus ascending to his throne. And this is what he's saying here. So he's going to Jerusalem. Jesus is, we see in Luke chapter 9, and he is going there in preparation to ascend to the throne because he is the king. And so we look at Luke, and we're in chapter 19, like I said, and our first point is this, the arrival of the king. Let me read the passage first. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, 
where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, that they, the, the works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So we have this account of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And uh, by the way, this whole week, we're going to be meeting at 7 o'clock at night. So that'd be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And uh, we are going to have a devotional, kind of a devotional time together. We'll sing a song and we'll look at one of the things that take place or one of the teachings of Jesus during the final week from this point until his death and resurrection. So I would encourage you, if you're able, to come out each night. It's, it's not going to be more than half an hour, I imagine each night, but we will come and we will, um, like I said, look at some of the things that take place in the life of Jesus during his last week. On Friday night, we are going to remember his death on the cross, and we will be taking the Lord's Supper together, so you will not want to meet, uh, to miss coming out on Friday. We're going to do something unique this Friday, so I'm really looking forward to it. And then, of course, on uh, Sunday morning, we are going to come and we're going to uh, worship together, remembering the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we have a lot going on this week, and I would encourage you to come out. In the meantime, we celebrate the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, the, ri- the arrival of the king. Now, Jesus' coming and all of these events that are transpiring at this time are not by accident, and, and they are not uh, something that is just kind of haphazardly happening. They are intentional, and they are on purpose, and they are in fulfillment of what God had prophesied a long time ago the things that would happen. And one of the main passages of Scripture is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And this is a prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus. So it says in Zechariah 9, 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So this is quite an amazing prophecy, and it prophesies this colt, that this donkey that Jesus gets on and he rides into Jerusalem on. But it's more than a prophecy about a donkey. It is a prophecy about the arrival of the king. Behold, your king is coming to you. And really, this is the point. Now, Zechariah, who wrote the prophecy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he is prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. And he is prophesying in a really amazing kind of situation. Because if you look back at Israel, they had sinned against God, and the Babylonians came and carried them away captive. And after a certain amount of time had passed, the Lord had put it on the hearts, and you can read about it in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, on the hearts of some people to return to Jerusalem. So these people are returning to Jerusalem from captivity. They are rebuilding the temple, which is what Zechariah is prophesying about. They are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They are re-inhabiting Jerusalem, and and Zechariah prophesies this, look, Now your king is coming back. And so your king is coming to you, but he is coming lowly and riding on a donkey. Now in the Gospel of Luke, it says even a little bit more than that. When Jesus looks at Jerusalem as he's coming near, this is in verse 41, he begins to uh, weep over Jerusalem. So he looks at Jerusalem and he sees, you know, the people don't believe and they're you know, straying away from, they haven't been following God, they're straying away from Him. And, and he says this as he's looking at Jerusalem, and it's beautiful in this day. This is Herod's temple, and the wall is, you know, the wall is beautiful, and the temple is beautiful, and he's just kind of looking at it, and he weeps. And he says this, if you had known, especially in this your day. So Jesus makes this reference to this particular special day, the things that make for your peace. But now your eyes are hidden Uh, For they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Zechariah is prophesying that this king is going to come. And then Jesus says, And he's weeping over Jerusalem as he's entering into it because they failed to realize or recognize the day of their visitation. Now, this is not just a a random phrase. When he's using the day of visitation, he is linking to several Old Testament passages about God visiting his people. And so this is the day of visitation. It is something that is prophesied even in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now that's what we were just referring to when we were talking about Zechariah's prophecy. From the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall even in troublesome time. And some have calculated that from the decree of Cyrus to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, until the coming of Jesus right here on this day is the exact number of days spoken by Daniel in his prophecy. And so Jesus, he says, and he's weeping over Jerusalem, if you had only known the day of your visitation. Here he is, the king, God, coming upon Jerusalem as their king, and they failed to recognize it. 
But that didn't, tr- that didn't change what was happening here. Even though the people did not understand what is happening, they break forth in praise. They worship Jesus, the king, as he is coming to Jerusalem. And uh, the Pharisees, now the Pharisees were the ones who were, the ones, they were the ones who were following God. If anybody should have known what day this was, they should have known. But when they hear the disciples praising Jesus, they call him aside, or they go up to him, or whatever, however it worked out, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he says this. This is how important this day of praise was. He said to them, I tell you that if these people should be quiet, the stones will begin to cry out in praise. Because it was the day, the day of the arrival of the king into Jerusalem. And praise was due him. And so that brings us to our second point here. And it is this, the praise of the king. So he, he's coming, they're praising him, and this is what they say to him. This is from verse 38. It says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king. Now this is kind of interesting because remember, I said that Luke, in Luke, the idea that Jesus is king is kind of a theme throughout the gospel. And in this praise of Jesus, um, it does not occur in Matthew and Mark. In other words, in Matthew and Mark, it doesn't call him the king, only here in Luke. It says, blessed is the king. That is unique to Luke because Luke is focusing on the fact that Jesus is the king. So blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And as he is coming here, if you go back, it says in verse 34, he takes the colt. He said, they, the disciples say, the Lord has need of him. And it says this, they threw their own clothes on the colt and then they sat Jesus on him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Now this is unique as, as well. So here's Jesus, he's coming on the colt in fulfillment of Zechariah, in fulfillment of Daniel. He's coming in and they take their coats off. And they throw their coats on the road. Now this is unique because in the other Gospels, they throw the what down? The palm. They're waving the palms and they're throwing the palms down. But in Luke, it is his, the clothes. Why? Well, you know, what are our clothes? They symbolize. They symbolize our comfort. You know, we put them on if we're cold. They symbolize our protection. You know, they offer a measure of protection from, you know, the elements around. And uh, they're also symbolic of our adornment. Okay, so we dress to dress nice, right? How many of you have dressed to dress nice? Don't raise your hand. Um, How many of you, maybe the the ladies especially, have bought a special dress for for Easter? You know, it's, it's nice and it's beautiful and it's part of the adornment of our clothing. Our clothing doesn't just function to, you know, to give us the things that we need. We're all wearing clothing, well, most of us, that, is, uh, that looks nice and is, uh, you know, it's, it's presentable and it's, you know, an adornment for us. Anyway, our protection and our comfort and our, our adornment, we take that off and they threw it down before Jesus the King. And it is a symbolic gesture that I'm taking what is important to me And I'm laying it down at your feet in submission to you. Here comes the king. Here's my coat. 
for you to walk across it. I offer my allegiance to you, O Lord Jesus, our King. And so they're doing this. They're throwing their coats down. They're waving the palm branches, which I'll come back to in a moment. And the King is coming, and they are worshiping Him in this way. They are submitting themselves to Him. Now, as He's coming in, they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they say this, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is really unusual. Peace in heaven? Why does heaven need peace? Who needs peace? We need peace. We really need peace. But here it says, the people were crying out, peace in heaven. Now, this is, this is an echo of what took place at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. The more I get into the Gospel of Luke, the more of these, these unusual things I'm spotting. And they are coming out and just kind of revealing that Luke is a masterful Gospel. And so what you have at the beginning of the Gospel, when Jesus is born, first of all, the, the account of the birth of Jesus is the longest in the Gospel of Luke than in any of the Gospels. But what you have is the appearance of these angels and they declare to the shepherds, peace on earth. The angels declare to the people, peace on earth. And here, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people declare before the King of heaven, peace in heaven. So it's like this, this uh, refrain in a song. It starts out, peace on earth by the angels, and it ends, peace in heaven by the men, praising the Lord. Now, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, when we think about Jesus, we, we really focus upon what He does for us, right? We focus upon uh, the fact that Jesus came because we're sinners, and He went to the cross, Right? And when he went to the cross, and this is what we're going to be remembering this week. When he went to the cross, he took your sins and mine upon him. Right? This is part of the gospel message. On the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And then he died, and he paid the penalty for our sins. He rose again from the dead in victory over sin and death. And then he ascended to the throne in heaven. And so we remember this. And, and that's what we focus on, the fact that he has saved us from our sins. Praise the Lord for that. But this declaration here by the people, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, peace in heaven, alerts us to a greater fact. Colossians chapter 1 says this, that Jesus, that God through Jesus, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, now, now get this, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And so when we consider the work of Jesus, it is not just to bring about the forgiveness of sins for mankind. After all, if we just kind of leave it at that, it just becomes kind of selfish, right? Jesus did that for me. But the point of the matter is this, that Jesus is the King, and I have to give my allegiance to Him. So his forgiveness of my sins is a small part of the greater thing that Jesus has done. And the greater thing is this. He has died on the cross and shed his blood to reconcile all things to himself. 
whether it is on earth or whether it is in heaven. Now, I don't exactly know what in heaven needs to be reconciled. That would be a really fascinating study that we, maybe some of you, one of you want to do. But, uh, but there it is, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And the work of Jesus as king is not just that he is the king on earth, but he is the king who sits on the throne in heaven next to the Father at his right hand. Over all things. So, praise to the king. This is their praise. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So, that brings us to the palm branches. The palm branches for the king. And I want us to turn now to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. And we find in Revelation chapter 7 a pretty remarkable account here. And while the gospel of Luke does not mention the palm branches, all the other gospels speak of the palm branches. And not only do the gospels speak of the palm branches, but this this uh, pretty fascinating passage in Revelation chapter 7. Now, the idea of the palm branches goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It is linked primarily with the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So this was the seven-day feast of the people of Israel, and it was not anywhere near Passover or anything. But this is what it says in Leviticus chapter 23, 40. It says, You shall take for yourselves on the first day, this is during this Feast of the Booths, you shall take for yourselves on the first day, the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And so here it is, Jesus is coming in as king, they are taking these branches, this is way back in the Old Testament here, they're taking these branches and they are rejoicing for seven days, which brings us to the point of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So they're rejoicing here, and they're, re- they're doing it with the branches. Another interesting thing is in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 29. I'm putting this uh, picture up on the screen, and you probably can't see it. So on the left, you have the picture. It's kind of a cutout of the temple. And God had given Solomon some pretty specific uh, instructions about how to build the temple and to decorate the temple on the inside. So you'll notice that you know, in this cutaway, that the inside is like this gold color. That's because everything was covered with gold. And I took out the middle part and I made it as big as I could on this picture here because one of the instructions was to decorate the inside in certain places in a certain way. So it says this in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 29. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries, and carved with carved figures of cherubim, that's angels, palm trees, and open flowers. So the inside is decorated with these palm trees. Why? What is the significance of this? I mean, how many, have you ever, anybody live here where there was a palm tree? I mean, you look outside, there's no palm trees. All these pine trees are pretty ugly, actually, but I think. I love palm trees. I grew up in Florida, and I love palm trees. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of noticed palm trees, and as you as we used to drive from, uh, from here down south, you'd start to see palm trees when you hit South Carolina. But what's funny is the palm trees in South Carolina, are, look, they look different than the palm trees in South Florida. 
So I, I'm kind of weird, you know, nerdy like that, and I ner- notice all the different kinds of palm trees driving down. But, but here it is. It could have been a pine tree. It could have been an olive tree. That would have been, that's biblical, right? Olive trees? That's pretty biblical. It could have been an olive tree, but it's not. It's a palm tree, these palm branches, because they are significant. And in the Bible, when you look up the palm branch, they are symbolic of two things. They are symbolic of prosperity, Psalm 92, 12. And they are symbolic of righteousness, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5. So in the Gospels, you have the people waving these palm branches before the righteous king who comes to Jerusalem in order to establish his throne, throne and bring about the prosperity of the nation of Israel. But here we have in Revelation a pretty amazing passage, and it's in verse 9 of chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Notice this. You have this large group of people. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. From every nation of the world. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they're standing there with palm branches and they give praise to God. Just like what is happening on the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He is the king. This time in the book of Revelation, he is actually sitting on the throne, and there they are in white robes and palm branches giving praise unto the Lord. Now, I just have to say that I do not think we are going to be these little floating lights in heaven, like this picture depicts. I, I, you know, it's, I've seen not only like pictures of this, but, you know, in, sometimes in, uh, uh, you know, the media will portray heaven like this. You know, these, just, these little floating lights and, you know, it's, it's pretty, just kind of everybody floating around, each light ref, uh, representing a soul in heaven. Uh, this is kind of boring, you know, if you just kind of look at that as, We all look the same and there's nothing different between us. But I just don't think that this is an accurate representation of what it's going to be like in heaven. Here, as we look at just this one passage, you have the Lamb sitting on the throne and you have all of these people from every nation. They must be distinguishable in some way. And even when we consider the resurrection from the dead, I am not going to be like you, praise the Lord, and you won't be like me, praise the Lord again, right? We are going to maintain our identities just like Jesus, when He rose again from the dead, maintains His identity and His person. And so you won't be like me and I won't be like you, but we will be maybe clothed in white robes and we will have those palm branches which represent the praise of the righteous and the, the prosperity, the praise of the righteous King and the prosperity that He brings to His people. And so we see it in Leviticus in the Old Testament. We see it when they build the temple. We see it when Jesus enters Jerusalem. And we see it on in the book of Revelation, the use of the palm branch to give praise to the king. And so as we come to the end of this message here, this is the point that I want us to kind of take away with us. That we have been created by God to give praise to Jesus 
our King. And we don't, like I said, we don't just do it when we come on Sunday morning. We do it all, we're supposed to do it all the time. So that is my exhortation. We come together and we give praise to the, to the, to the King. We do that every Sunday. We do that a couple of times during the week. But when we leave, we still should give praise to the King. So read your Bibles and give praise to the King. Sing some Christian songs and give praise to the King. Uh, pray and give praise to the King. Serve Him and do it in the name of the King. From beginning to the end, from, from every breath of that we take, let us remember to give praise to the King. So these, these souls from every nation and tongue and people and from every kind of people, they're standing before the throne and they have their white robes and they have their palm branches and they're crying out, for, to, they're crying out in praise, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So these are the people. They're giving praise for the salvation. As we come to the next verse, we find in verse 11, all the angels that stood around the throne and the elders, that's a reference to the 24 elders, and the four living creatures, that's yet another kind of heavenly creation there, the four living creatures. So you have, first you have the people with the palm branches and the white robes. Then you have the angels and these 24 elders and the four living creatures. They fall on their faces before the throne and they worship God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So there is praise. And so let us join in this chorus of praise all of this praise that we will participate in, in eternity, let us begin now because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. Let us worship the King as we remember His triumphal entry. Now what's going to happen at this point is that Ben's going to come up, he's going to play a song, and as we're playing this song, you have your palm branches, right? So find them, you're probably sitting on them, or maybe they're on the floor in front of you, and uh, I see one that's crinkled up in the back already, you know, you, maybe you balled it up, or whatever you did with it, take it out now, if you have it. Do we have any extra palm branches? Does anybody need palm branches? Stephen has some palm branches. If you need some palm branches, you can take more, we have extras, you can take more, raise your hand if you want an extra palm branch, Stephen will run over there to to give them out to you. What we're going to do, we're going to stand, we're going to sing this song, and I would like for you to move up to the front at some point during the song and throw your palm branch down as a symbolic gesture of your praise to the king. If you're unable to come to the front, just take it and just put it in the aisle next to your seat. And if you can't even do that, just it's okay. Just put it in the front just as a gesture of your praise to the king. So let's stand and give praise to the king. <laughs> 